And so we're going to be talking about the essential doctrine of communion or the Lord's Supper. You know, there are a ton of different theologies and doctrines out there throughout different faiths, um, in the, even within the Christian realm. How many you know there's so many denominations and different things like that? And we're really going to um, start to look at them and then go to the Bible and then come back and look at them again. I want to touch on, on because uh, I want to paint a picture tonight by the leading of the Spirit on really what the majority of the church believes and what many of those of us ha- who have grown up, whether Protestant or Charismatic or Pentecostal or Baptist, what they believe, uh, what we've been taught, and in, in find out what is the truth of Scripture, though, because there's two totally different sides. There, there's two main sides that something supernatural happens with the bread and the juice or wine, something supernatural happens, or it's just a memorial. Those are the two main sides, but then there's all kinds of beliefs in and middle. And we want to touch those and really just um, look at what the Bible says and take it word for word in its context and meaning. And then I want to share with you what I believe to be true. Uh, Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word, the bread of life, that Jesus, you are the word made flesh, that you said man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We thank you, Lord, that you mature us through your word. We thank you that you increase faith by the hearing of your word. And so, God, I pray tonight that the the teaching anointing of Jesus would flow. I pray tonight that, Holy Spirit, you would help us, help or help, spirit of wisdom and revelation, reveal Jesus to us tonight and your truth about the sacrament of Holy Communion, your supper that you established, one of the last things you did before you went to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the primary um, branches of theology um, about the uh, Holy Communion is called Eucharist theology. It's one of the biggest ones. Um, It's probably the farthest pendulum swing in this. If you've got the two sides of something supernatural happens, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of simplify it. Something supernatural happens with the bread and the blood or the the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus, or it's just in remembrance. If those are the two sides of the pendulum, this is way over on something supernatural happens. Um, it's a branch of Christian theology which treats doctrines concerning the Holy Eucharist, also commonly known as the Lord's Supper. It exists, ex- exists exclusively in Christianity and, re- and related religions as others generally do not contain a Eucharistic ceremony. So again, this is communion. It's a name for communion. Listen, no other religion on the planet other than Christianity contains Holy Communion. There's not another, another one on the planet that contains this doctrine. Uh, in the gospel accounts of Jesus' early ministry, a, cloud of, uh, a crowd of listeners challenges him regarding the reign of manna before he delivers the famous bread of life disclosure. This is going to be found in John chapter 6, verse 22 through 59. I want you to turn with me there. John chapter 6, verse 22 through 59. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59. It reads as this, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread. After the Lord had given thanks, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This is obviously after the feeding of the 5,000. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, 
So Jesus is beginning to reference a different kind of food. Do you understand? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying there is another type of food for you to eat. It is not a food which perishes like our food. If you leave bread out, what happens? It molds, it perishes, it fades away. He says, but for the food which endures to what? To everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So where does this food come from? Does this food come from a priest? Does this food come from a pastor? Does this food come from a prophet? No, he says the Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself. That is where this food from everlast, of everlasting life comes from. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. I find it very interesting that Jesus speaks of the heavenly food that we must partake of right in the mix of saying, hey, the work of God is to believe the one whom he sent. How many of you know that when we believe in the one whom he sent, that means we believe the words spoken by the one in whom he sent? All right, let's read on. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Again, they had just saw him multiply the, the loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people out of several loaves and, and fishes. Um, and he goes on to say, our fathers, basically they're saying, hey, give us this sign. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Speaking of himself. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Hallelujah. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Speaking about us, man, it's the will of God that, that Jesus loses not one who decide to follow him. That's really good news. And this is the will of him who sent me again, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then Jesus, uh, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, he's speaking of the resurrection of the dead. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Listen, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Listen, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It baffled them. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. These are the words of the Son of God. The work of God is to believe the one in whom he sent. 
to believe what he's saying. And he's telling you right now, if you will not eat my flesh or drink my blood, you can have no part in me. He says this, though, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, uh, this bread of life, that disclosure that occurs in the Gospel of John uh, 6, 22 through 59 that we just read, Jesus promises to give his flesh and blood, which will give eternal life to all who receive it. In John 6, 53, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And continues, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. It's very clear, very clear. Sometimes we're looking for some spiritual mystery here, which we're going to touch on the mystery in a moment. But it's very, very, very clear. My flesh is food. My blood is drink. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have eternal life. If you do not do this, you have no life in you. He's very, very, very clear about that. Uh, every year, Jews in Israel celebrated the Passover meal, remembering and celebrating their uh, liberation from captivity in Egypt. Jesus celebrated the Last Supper uh, with his apostles uh, at Passover. And if you remember in Passover, we can turn uh, to, to that in Luke We'll go there in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 through 20. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 through 20. I want to tie these two portions of Scripture together. Remember, when we interpret Scripture, what is the number one rule? Can somebody tell me? What is it? Yes, you need the whole Bible. We interpret Scripture in the context of all of Scripture, we do not form doctrines and theologies. God does not give us doctrines and theologies from one verse. It is in the entire Bible. We have to see what the entire Bible says about it. So Jesus himself has tied several things here together. He's tied together what God has already said and, that, and what God has already done, and that's the manna that came down from heaven in what took place in the manna. It was supernatural. It appeared and manifested on its own, and you literally took it and ate it. And Jesus compares his flesh and his bread to this very thing. And then he's, he's speaking forward to what he's going to say at the Last Supper. So he's speaking forward. He's touching backwards, speaking presently, and, and speaking forward about eating his body and his blood, his flesh and his blood, his the meat that we should eat is his what? The bread that we eat from heaven is his body and the blood that we drink, right? So let's see what it says in Luke 22, verse 19 through 20. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. So actual bread. And he gave it to them saying this, this is my body. <laughs> Do you understand now? Do you see now that we've correlated all those scriptures together, that we didn't just take one or two verse, verses and present them to you? We're looking at the, the words of Jesus and all of scripture as one. We're presenting this revelation. And what does it say right here? He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the, the other side of the pendulum that we're going to look at tonight gets entirely too hung up on the remembrance of me. 
They get hung up on the remembrance, and that's what they hinge upon, and they do it as a memorial. And that's what we're going to, again, we're going to touch on. We're going to go deep. I don't want to get up there right now. I'm really just trying to give us, by the Holy Spirit, Scripture. I want you to see that what, I, what we're teaching tonight, what we're learning here, is not my opinion. Okay? This is not my opinion. This is not a, a doctrine of demons. This is not an opinion of man. This is just plain Scripture. Okay, this is my body. What the bread that he's breaking and he's saying, and you'll do this as well. He just got done saying in John six that. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And he's saying, this is my flesh. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after after uh, supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This cup of juice, the cup of which it was wine at the time, but a very diluted wine, very similar, a little bit stronger than grape juice, but not like the wine we drink. They weren't sitting there getting sloshed at dinner. I know a lot of people try to present it that way to justify going and getting sloshed, but that's not what they were doing. Um, their wine was very, very diluted. It took a whole lot to get drunk. Um, you'll see that just to show you biblically. If you remember when Jesus is at the wedding and they would drink all day, yeah, th- no way. If you drink that much wine, barrels of wine, like nowadays in our our wine, you're just you're sick. You know, it's not going to happen. So just to show you that that I w- again want to give you scripture, Bible, not my opinion. All right, this cup is is the new covenant. Somebody say is the new covenant. In my blood, which is shed for you, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. I think we went too far. We should have landed at, yep, at 20. We're going to read it again. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, meaning you'll continue to do this. This cup is in the, is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You So he ties in, at the Last Supper, the message he gave in Matthew 6. Do we see that? Or sorry, John 6. Do you see how he's tying those in? Um, this, is, this account is also recorded in Matthew. I'll give you those scriptures. We won't read it because it's the same account. It's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. For those of you taking notes, it's in Mark chapter 14, verse 22 through 24. Before we move on um, and, and, and finish up with our scriptures tonight, let's jump over and see what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, who many would say was our Apostle. I like to take them all, but, you know, there's some doctrine out there about that. We'll, we'll probably get into that during this series as well, is, you know, there's this doctrine that, you know, we only are supposed to read Paul's letters and this and that. We'll, we'll, we'll probably nail that sucker too. But anyway, uh, I just want to be biblical, biblically sound. Amen. I want to be full of the Holy Ghost, wild dreams, visions, all of it. I can have angelic visitations, everything. But I want to be biblically sound as well, right? Let's see what Paul has to say. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. It's going to be verse 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. I didn't have my bookmarks tonight. <laughs> Some of you are like, praise God, you move too fast without them. Everybody don't care. Anyway, so uh, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I'm going to keep reading. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup, because I I think this scripture 
is very important, and we'll probably come back. Um, bookmark right there. I want to come back to this because this just to me really is, I think, going to land home the severity. Uh, we, I think we've given enough scripture for you to see that, man, there's something a little bit more here than just uh, drinking, eating a wafer and sipping some juice, you know. Um, but I want to, uh, or just remembering something, but I'll really listen to this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, this is the Apostle Paul saying, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. So my question for you to ponder as we move on tonight and we talk about all the different theologies and doctrines that all the different churches have and this and that, why would the Lord hold you guilty for something that was not in fact the actual thing he's saying you're guilty of? If it's not the body and the blood, then what guilt would there be for you if you eat it in an unworthy manner? If it's merely a wafer and it's merely juice, why would the Lord Jesus himself hold you guilty if it's taken in an unworthy manner? I just just put a big question mark there and set it up on the shelf, and we'll come back to that, all right? But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the, the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Listen, catch that. Not discerning the Lord's body. This is, in other words, not believing that it's the Lord's body. Not discerning that this is the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. And by eating it in an un, a, a way, not reverencing it in that way, you're eating it in an unworthy way and actually pronouncing judgment. Think about that. Thank God he's merciful. Amen. Listen, so for this reason, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. That's Paul's word for death, if you didn't know that, sleep. We covered that in the Resurrection of the Dead series, uh, teaching. I highly encourage you to go listen to that one. It's amazing and just encouraging, uh, uplifting to know that we are resurrected from the dead. But he said, many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Uh, then he tells you, but if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. At least you come together for judgment. <laughs> And the rest I will set in order when I come. Basically, he's like, yeah, don't be in a hasty to eat. But did you catch that? Because of, I'm going to go back to verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Why? Not discerning the Lord's body. Think about that. Okay, let's jump in. Let's see what the church has to say. So, again, in this Eucharistic uh, theology, um, because Jesus Christ is a person, theologies regarding the Eucharist involve consideration of the way in which the communicant's personal relationship with God is fed through this mystical meal. However, debates over Eucharist theology in the West have centered on, on the metaphysical aspects of Christ's presence in this ritual. So there's a couple of different ways they, um, they look at. So who agrees with, with this theology, who agrees um, that th it's the literal bread and or the literal body and blood of Jesus? Let's let's find out who agrees with that in church history and take a long I love that I take a long a, a long look at um, uh, again at just the church at large. How many of you know like w we just we're a very young church plant. You know we've only been around about three years. We've been planted like we're not you know the church. You know, we're part of the church. Amen. Um, but the church has been around a long time. You know, church has been around since they started following Jesus. That was, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. On the revelation of Jesus, when he was speaking to Peter, he's, he had already begun to build his church with the 12 apostles, those who he called. And then everyone who followed after, that's the church. So the church has been around a long time. Okay. So we want to look at where in history um, which churches have been around the long this and that and see what which which ones believe what okay so who agrees so the substance the fundamental reality of the bread and wine is changed in a way this is the belief beyond human comprehension 
into that of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. That is one of the thought, the theologies, all right? Uh, but the accidents or the physical traits, including the chemical properties of the bread and wine, remain. This view is taught by the Roman Catholic Church, including the Eastern Rites. So the Roman Catholics believe this. They believe that the bread itself turns into the literal body of Christ in that the, blood, the, the wine itself turns into the literal blood. But the, the, the consistency, the bread does itself does not change. But there is a mystical thing that takes place that as you eat it in faith, it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. And if you don't know this, the Catholic Church has been around since the, the forefront of the church, if you don't know that. They trace their, their roots way back, obviously, to Peter, but then to Polycarp and many after. Do I think, you know, do I personally agree with praying to Mother Mary and the saints and different things like that and penance and all this stuff? No, we're, we're not going to get into that. A lot of that came way later, though. Um, you have to understand that that people were having quote-unquote revelations and things like that and adding to and they would have encounters and that's why things would happen and these obviously um, the Bible says that even Satan himself appears as an angel of light if he brings a different gospel don't receive it and unfortunately it seems that some of that have crept in but I want to I want to tell you that I know Catholics that that are have a literal relationship with Jesus Christ there's a whole lot of things that they miss in their life that they get breakthrough but but are they all heretics are they all destined to hell Please don't fall into that camp. Listen, God knows the heart, and what you judge by is fruit. If you want to judge something, which I warn you highly not to, the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be judged. In the same manner you judge, you'll be judged also. But if you want to look at something, look at the fruit of somebody's life. Okay, no one is consistently kind, patient, loving, genuine if they're not full of the Spirit. And actually, there's very even, many even charismatic Catholics who operate in powerful gifts of the Spirit, know the Holy Spirit, see healing, all kinds of stuff. Um, a lot of people, the one guy's getting used mightily by God. The guy that's playing Jesus um, is like a, like a very, very devout, practicing Catholic. Um, yeah, his name's Jonathan, I think, right? Rumi, yeah. So anyway, but if I listen to the dude, the dude, I sense the presence of God when he talks. You're like, well, he's a Catholic. Yeah, but the pray, he's got the Holy Spirit. Maybe we don't agree completely on doctrine and theology. And you would say, well, whoa, watch out, brother. Like, yeah, no, my obviously I like right doctrine. That's why we're here tonight teaching. But I would encourage you to go look at the book of Revelations and see all the jacked up issues the seven churches had that Jesus was still calling his church, still loving, still ministering to, and the Bible says still walking amongst. And they had all kinds of jacked up stuff. So who are we to judge? Again, yeah, I want to be right in error, but there's just way too much fear out there that we just, man, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's real hard to just get deceived. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, if you stay close to Jesus, stay close to the anointed one, you're going to do just fine, okay? Let's uh, let's jump. Man, no, I just feel, I want to hit this one more time. I'm sorry. The early church, the pagans were getting saved, okay? And they were jacked up. They were having orgies. They were all kinds of, they were sleeping with men, with women, didn't matter. They just multiple why, all this stuff. And they wrote, a, like, like Paul came into, uh, it came into Jerusalem, and they called a council in the early church, the apostles, who had, by the way, were Jews and knew the law, okay, knew the law, walked with these guys were discipled by Jesus himself. Like, the, if anybody had good doctrine, it was these guys, okay? They wrote our Bible. We get our doctrine from them. They adhered to the apostles' doctrine. So they're like, well, do we now force uh, all of the 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 uh, Gentiles to follow every one of the laws and they prayed and they said by the Holy Spirit and they were all in agreement and they said no you know what we're going to write a letter and if they'll abstain from sexual morality they'll abstain from food offered to idols they'll abstain from things with blood in it and animals that were choked it's funny three things about what went into their mouth food just very interesting it, it, even in the context of talking about the Lord's Supper of what goes in the mouth and the spiritual aspect of what goes in the mouth they said three things about food, and one was sexual morality, and they said if they'll abstain from these things, they'll do well. That was it. They didn't have this long, long, obviously Paul comes back, and he addresses things, and we just read in 1 Corinthians where he's like, and when I'll come, I'll bring other things to order. 
So obviously, we're not saying throw out the Bible, but I'm saying lighten up. That's what I'm saying. Live holy, pure, lighten up. All right, let's move on. So again, uh, the Roman Catholic Church agrees with this theology. Who else agrees with this theology? The Eastern Orthodox Christians. Let me tell you this. It's almost 99.9% sure that we can trace our heritage back to either the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. Just so you know, so you know that's every Christian on the planet. Just so you know. If, if you go back to an unestablished church, you trace your history back, one place or the other, it's going to land on the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, again, stuff has gotten whatever, but that's just a fact of life. So, again, we can't completely reject that. This is the, the founding fathers. If you ever heard of the apostolic fathers, those who were uh, uh, right under the apostles, a lot of them fathered what is now the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, so, again, they generally prefer not to be tied down by the specifics of the defined doctrine of transubstantiation. I think I said that right. Though they all agree with the definition's conclusion. So, again, they don't like to get tied down with, wor- with verbiage but that the real presence of Christ is in the Eucharist. They prefer to simply use the term change. That's the term they prefer to use. Uh, they prefer that, that to use the verbiage that there is a change of the bread and wine into, listen to this, the actual body and blood of Jesus. They believe that there is a mystery that takes place, that it actually changes. These are both now of the ancient churches. Both of the oldest existing churches in the world right now receive this doctrine as true. There's another belief that the bread retains its substance and Christ's glorified body comes down into the bread through the consecration and is found there together with the natural substance of the bread without quantity but whole and complete in every part of the sacramental bread it was the position of the uh, uh, Lollards, I believe is how you pronounce it. It is erroneously used to denote the position of the Lutheran church, which is also a very ancient church, guys. Not as ancient as the Eastern Orient, but you guys know who Martin Luther is, right? Nailed the, the thesis on the, on the wall, like, you know, hey, we're saved not by works, but by faith alone. That's one of our central doctrines, if you don't know, comes from Martin Luther. They believed it. Uh, they affirm the they affirm the doctrine of sacramental union. Also, Anglicans identify with this position. This is um, one of the uses of their sacraments. Some of the words I want to present to you that they would use in the process of presenting the sacrament of communion. That just I believe shares some of their theology. In the use of the sacrament, according to the words of Jesus, and by the power of his speaking of them once for all, the consecrated bread is united with his body and the consecrated wine with his blood for all communicants, whether believing or unbelieving, to eat and drink. This is the position of the Lutheran Church that echoes the next view with its pious silence about technicalities in that it objects to philosophical terms such as, you know, um, again, they just uh, were another one that, that avoided these specific terms. They, 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 they like, didn't like to get tied down to certain, you know, terms. Um, there's, another, uh, there's another belief called objective reality, okay, objective <laughs> reality, but pious silence about technicalities or divine or holy mystery. It's the view of all the ancient churches of the East as well as many Anglicans, including the Anglo-Catholic churchmanship, Check this out. And the Methodists. And the Methodists, which if you don't know, the Methodists, when they were when they came out, were rocking it in revival, man. There are some wild stories about the movement of the Holy Spirit in the Methodist church. Like now where they're at now, I know they become mainstream mainline and all that, and I get that. But you can't take away from the authenticity and the heritage of, of their beginning. We just can't ignore that. We can't sit here and think that, oh, here we are. We've only been around for However many long, especially if you come out of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, that movement's not even been around for, I think, 100 years, something like that. You know, it's not, I mean, it's 1920s and a little bit before. So, huh? Yeah, 1906. So, like, come on, we ain't even been around that long if you're part of that movement, right? And you're going to sit here and say, well, I know better than ancient, uh, anyway. 
Uh, you, we just cannot be so haughty, man. We've got to humble ourselves. And so anyway, they agree that in the sacrament, the bread and the wine are really and truly changed into the body and the blood of Christ. And while they have at times employed the terminology of substance to explain what has changed, they usually avoid this language, con, uh, considering it to be redolent of scholasticism as presenting its speculative metaphysics as doctrine and as scrutinizing excessively the manner in which the mystical transformation takes place. So in other words, they're not hung up on how it happens. They're like, we believe it happens, but we don't, it's a mystery of God. Like we don't need to get hung up on what actually this or that. Well, is it the body of God coming down and entering it? You know, is am, am I actually eating his flesh? Like what is going like, is it actual flesh or is it made bread is the, is the actual ingredients or the, 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 the chemical construct. I should get Jen up here to break that down. But the, ki- the, the chemical construct of the bread, like is, does it actually change into flesh or does the wine actually change into blood? You know, and so it's not, it, it, they're not trying to get hung up on that. Uh, let's move on. So then uh, let's touch on the Reformed theology. Okay, so do you guys know there's a whole, I mean, there's just so many denominations. Anyway, they believe in a real spiritual presence, also called a pneumatic presence, holds that not only the spirit of Christ, but also, listen, here it is again, the true body and blood of Jesus, hence real, are received by the sovereign, mysterious, and miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, hence spiritual, but only by those partakers who have faith. So again, they differ in some believe that believing and unbelieving can take it, and some believe only those who have faith can take it, and it only happens for them. This view approaches the pious silence view in its unwillingness to specify how the Holy Spirit makes Christ present, but positively excludes not just symbolism, but also trans and consubstination, I believe it's called. Uh, it is also known as the mystical presence view. The mystical presence view and is held by some low church reformed Anglicans as well as other Presbyterian churches. So the Presbyterians believe this as well. This understanding is often called recept- receptionism. Some argue that this view can be seen as being suggested, though not clearly, by the invocation of the Anglican rite. Uh, let's go on. So uh, here's another example of how this would be administered, which again reveals the theology. And we most hol- humbly beseech thee, O merciful Father, to hear us, and of thy almighty goodness, who save the, to bless and sanctify with thy word and Holy Spirit these thy gifts and creatures of bread and wine, that we receiving them according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. So again, they believe it is a, there's a literal transformation, somehow mystical, mysterious transformation supernatural from bread to the flesh of jesus from wine to the blood of jesus okay uh there is another view known as memorialism okay this is the last view we're going to talk about memorialism okay this this view memorialism is that the bread and wine are merely symbolic uh, of the body and the blood of jesus this, I'm oh sorry, we'll touch on two more. Memorialism is, is the second, second to last one. Uh, this m- is that the bread and wine are symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and in partaking of the elements, the believer only commemorates the sacrificial death of Christ, but Christ is not present in the sacrament except in the minds and the hearts of the communicants. This is most Protestant believers, including Pentecostal and Charismatic churches. Did you know that? So it's most Protestant, which, by the way, these are the most recent churches in church history to be existent. So at some point when they transitioned, they stepped out, they created another denomination, and they created another stream, and they went another way. They left behind the literal transformation of the body and blood of Jesus and traded it for memorialism. Okay, there's another uh, theology uh, known as suspension. 
It's the view that Jesus did not intend partaking of the bread and wine to be a perpetual ordinance or that he did not intend it to be taken as a religious rite or ceremony. That view is held by the Quakers and the Salvation Army. They're the two, the only two that hold that view. Um, but then, so they just don't practice it at all. They think it was a kind of a one-shot deal, which, again, not everybody's theology is right, but like Paul's pretty clear. And Jesus is, I uh, just don't know how, you know, how we got off twisted. So we have, but but you have, see, we have two main camps because how many of you know the Protestant church, the charismatic church, whether you know this, the charismatic Pentecostal church is the fastest growing church in the world. It's the fastest growing church in uh, worldwide like china is ablaze man millions coming to this the, you know, the charismatic experience which typically speaks to you know um the holy spirit and speaking in tongues baptism the holy spirit maybe we'll touch on that a little more uh in the essential doctrine series but I- anyway um so but but look at this you've got the protestants okay and, and some baptists can fall under that as well but you have the protestants uh denominations uh and then you have the charismatic and the Pentecostals, saying it's only symbolic. By the way, many of the same are the ones who say baptism is merely symbolic. But now you've got all the ancient churches, and you've got the majority of all the other, like like, like there, you know, maybe we got three to how many? Believe that there is a literal mystical and mysterious transformation that takes place that the bread turns into the flesh and that the uh, wine turns into the literal blood of Jesus and that when you take it, you are taking his flesh and his blood and like Jesus said, you're receiving eternal life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, so let me ask you this question and then I'll, I'll go into um, what I believe uh, to be true, uh, if you haven't already picked that up. Um, but, but with a little hints dropped, a little sprinkle here and there. Uh, I want to ask you several questions. One, what position, because the Eucharistic position and, and, you know, we went through several different views of it. Some like to use words, some don't. But we'll sum it up to say there's a mystical transformation, right? I liked that one. What, what was that one? The, the, what did they call it? I like that term. Mystical presence, right? that there's a mystical change, or it's symbolic. Which one would you say lines up more with Scripture in what we read today? Which position, I'm asking that question, which position lines up more with Scripture, that it's merely something that's symbolic and a memorial, or that there is a literal change in the body and blood? To me, it lines up very clear. Jesus says it. If you don't do this, if you don't eat it, you don't have eternal life. If you do eat it, my flesh is bread. He says it very clearly. My flesh is bread. He says it's, it's just clear. I mean, he says it clear as day. And then he goes to does, establishes the Lord's Supper, which is our primary example for the, the sacrament and act of communion. And he goes, this is my body and this is my blood. Oh, yeah, remember what I said back in, in John chapter 6? And then Paul's like, yeah, go ahead. Let's jump back to that. Go ahead and eat it in an unworthy manner, and you'll be guilty of the body and blood. So if it's not the literal body and blood, why would I then be guilty? Then he goes on to say, but let him examine himself so that let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Meaning you're not discerning. You're not believing that it's the actual body and blood of Jesus. You've not discerned what is before you, what is holy and reverent before you. The Lord Jesus Christ himself doing a supernatural work in your midst. Man, Lord, forgive us. I want to read, uh, I want to highlight, uh, oh, oh, my other question, my other question was this. Of, of, of the, the two pendulum swings of, do- of theology and doctrine, which one takes more faith? Which, out of the pendulum swing, okay, there's a, 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 a mystical presence and a supernatural transformation or it's done merely symbolic in a memorial sense, which side of the pendulum requires more faith? 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who believe, they must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like, he loves faith, man. He sets you up to, to have to operate in faith to please him. Which one lines up? Which one requires more? Man, it requires way more faith. I'll answer the question for you. It requires way more faith to believe that there is a mystical transformation taking place and that I am consuming the body and the blood of Jesus. And he says, for me, it's food eternal, uh, food unto eternity, food unto everlasting life. It's literally life when I take it. And that changed, man, I feel the power of God on that. It changes everything. I want to highlight something about this position because clearly this is my position. It's our position as a house. Uh, Nicholas Zinzendorf, a bishop of the Moravian Church, loved that. If you've never been to Moravian Falls, highly recommend it. He stated this, Holy Communion is the most, somebody say the most, intimate of all connection with the person of the Savior. Zinzendorf believed, they led a hundred year prayer movement, if you don't know what the Moravians did, hundred year prayer movement, powerful man of God. Um, the Moravian church adheres to the view known as the sacramental presence, teaching that in the sacrament of Holy Communion, Christ gives his body and blood according to his promise to all who partake of the element. When we eat and drink the bread and the wine of the supper with expectant faith, somebody say with expectant faith. It's very key. Discerning the Lord's body, as Paul would put it. We thereby have communion with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. In this sense, the bread and wine are rightly said to be Christ's body and blood, which he gives to his disciples. As with the Methodist churches, the Moravian church holds to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but does not define the precise way that he is sacramentally present. Many Moravian theologians, theologians, though, believe that the Lutheran doctrine of the sacramental union properly defines the way that Christ is present in Holy Communion and have historically uh, promulgated sorry, that view. During the, Moravian servi- during the Moravian service of Holy Communion, only the scriptural words of institution are used and thematic hymns are sung during the serving of the sacrament. The Moravian churches practice open communion and all baptized Christians who have confirmed their faith may join in the Holy Communion. So just so we clear, our position on it would be that we line up, I would say, completely with how the Moravians would view it. I would say that there is a mystical transformation. I believe that if it can kill you, if you eat it in an unworthy manner, it can heal you if you eat it in a worthy manner. It's the blood and body of Jesus. He, by his stripes, we're healed. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And that when we partake of it, that there's a supernatural thing that takes place. And when we take it in an unworthy manner, we better watch out, man. And so I highly discourage those who are not of faith to receive communion. Um, but those who are of faith to receive communion. And if you have faith to believe it, I highly encourage you to believe it. And so um, if you're watching this teaching, uh, we highly encourage you to, at this time, if you have uh, maybe hit pause or whatever at this time, you want to grab um, some bread and, and, and some some juice or whatever you have, man. If it's pizza and Kool-Aid, it'll be okay. Um, it's the act of faith, amen. But um, can I ask, Sarah, if you would help just pass out and maybe Caleb, if you want to help pass out to make it a little quicker, and then could I have one? And we're going to take Holy Communion, uh, but we're going to take it with an understanding. Amen? We're going to take it discerning that it's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. You guys want to get yours ready, your elements ready. Can you find them? <laughs> We're just going to do like the Lord did. All right. We're going to take this bread that he says is his literal body. So w- when we bless this and we break it as he did, 
and we, we put it in our mouths, the, the Bible teaches, okay, in many of the churches, teach that it's going to transform into the literal flesh of Jesus. And like Zinzendorf said, is the most intimate communion with our Savior. So let's just take a moment and reflect. Whatever error you've had, whatever sin you've had, anytime you've taken it in an unworthy manner, we, we turn, we repent, Lord. And we now, we take this bread, believing that it's going to transform into your body, and we bless it and break it. And now we take and eat of your flesh, Christ, as you commanded, that we might have life. you that you're the bread that comes down from heaven just like you know uh, uh, just like the manna that came down in the wilderness and they didn't know how it got there in the morning it was just there wasn't Jesus so genius to tie that right to communion that mystical presence Lord we thank you for this cup lift up your cup as Jesus did we thank you that this is going to transform into your blood, Lord, that you said this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. And so we take this, God, believing in faith that it's going to turn into your blood, Lord, and that we have through the shedding of your blood, the forgiveness of our sins, through the eating of your flesh and the drinking of your blood, everlasting life because of what you did. Take and drink. May sickness leave your bodies. May you be healed. May you be whole in your souls, in your minds, in your spirits. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Encounter Podcast. We pray it has been a blessing to you. We would be honored if you would prayerfully consider supporting this ministry by becoming a monthly partner or sowing a one-time offering helping us bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord to the lost and the continued training and equipping of his bride, the church. For more information on how to become a partner or make a donation, please go to Encounter1078.com and click on the donate button. Thank you, and may the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus be upon you.